locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. This is the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap for case 119, Paranormal Marriage Counseling. Before we unpack case 119, Lo and Claire asked me to make sure you've listened to case 115.5, Wyndham's West Bank Hideaway, the update episode, from last week. If you've been waiting on details on what's going on at the Wyndham's West Bank Hideaway, make sure to give last week's episode a listen. And one more quick ask. It is a huge help for us, and it will just take you a minute or two. If you're up for it, Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and we promise to not send any ghosts to haunt you at night. Okay, all right. All dramatic flair aside, rating and reviewing us is especially helpful in getting our cases out there in front of more people. All right, that's enough of the housekeeping. Let's get into case 119, Paranormal Marriage Counseling. Ready to add relationship counselor to your resume? Prue asked handing me a grande iced Americano. I looked up from a copy of The Wives by Taryn Fisher and around the almost empty patio of the Deja Brew Roastery. I know you're not talking to me, I said. Taking a drink of the strongly caffeinated goodness? Thank you, I added, nodding at the drink. There are many things I excel at. Making seven-layer fiesta dip. Detailed recaps of just about every 90s teen drama TV show. And awkward first impressions, to name a few. But I'm a relationship walking disaster. Seriously, how Asher's put up with me this long is proof of miracles. Prue took a sip of her iced mocha before saying, Oh, you don't give yourself enough credit, B. I arched an eyebrow. Fair point, she said, putting her hands up in surrender but this is paranormal-related, so we'll be working in your wheel well. She pulled a tablet from her large gray faux leather messenger bag. Listen to this. Prue and Posse. The ghosts in my house are going to end my marriage. We've been married six months, moving into our starter house the day we returned from our honeymoon. In the first week, things started happening. Voices from thin air, knocking from inside the walls, Things disappear or move around the house. Most recently, something is following me around the entire house, like a shadow I can't shake. I feel its presence constantly. The worst part? My husband thinks it's all a figment of my imagination, and I'm annoyed he doesn't believe me. Please help. I don't want to end up divorced before our first anniversary. Amelia. Paranormal marriage counseling? That was a first. Property details. Amelia and Carter lived with their rescue beagle Marvin in Capeville. The craftsman-style home needed a facelift, but the couple loved the bones of the property. Low-pitched roof, expansive front porch, exposed beams, and a huge brick fireplace were all major selling points for the couple. The home has three bedrooms, three and a half baths, and a partially finished basement. They moved in knowing a lot of work needed to be done on everything from the kitchen to the bathrooms, but they were excited to tackle as many of the projects as they could together, beginning in the master bedroom and bathroom. Team update. Claire is still baking up a storm, 
much longer of her culinary distractions, and I'm going to need to invest in bigger pants. Her son, Dean, who's 14, is having some sleep disturbances. He keeps getting woken up by growling coming from the hallway. Pets in the home include a snake, a handful of creatures caught from a local stream, and a bearded dragon named AI. Nothing to my knowledge that growls. Is the black hell beast back in Claire's world? We'll look into it and keep you up to date. Ford is caught smack dab in the middle of an epic prank war with her siblings. Over the weekend, she talked me into committing a B&E, breaking and entering for you non-lawbreaking types, to assist in a creepy prank. While her sister Kemper worked an overnight shift at the hospital, we broke into her house with a creepy peekaboo doll in hand. I'm not sure what these dolls are actually called, but this one stands about three feet tall, with braided pigtails down its back, wearing a floral floor-length dress, and demonic creeper hands covering its eyes. We placed the evil thing in the shower, so when Kemper took a shower after a long night's work, she'd find the dolls back to her in the shadowy shower. When I rolled out of bed the next morning, I had a text from a number I didn't know. It included a picture of a bloodied elbow and two words, you're next. Ford assures me that Kemper's revenge for my part in causing her to trip over her bathroom rug, bashing her elbow on the corner of the vanity, will probably not include the shaving of one of my eyebrows or anything too permanent. Kemper, if you're listening to the show, I swear, I told Ford that the demon doll was a terrible idea. She doesn't listen. Prue and the giggling from the night. We have an update, but it's not what we'd hoped. The blessing on the house seems to have only fueled the nighttime specter's attention. The laughing is stronger than ever, and one night last week when Letting knocks out for a potty break, something watched her. Not in the way you feel like something is watching you, but she actually laid eyes on something standing on the edge of her backyard. She noticed it about a second before Knox sprinted from the yard, past her, and back in the house. Looking from her bedroom window over the backyard, she swears the figure waved to her. We are reaching out to some other friends of the show for options to get rid of whatever the waving night giggler is. The Adventures of Sleepwalking Brooke continues, paired with the most vivid dreams I think I've ever had. The most disturbing has stuck with me five days later. In the dream, I'm walking down a seafoam green-tiled hallway. The bare tube lights flicker overhead. There's a buzzing sound filling the silence around me as I walk. Pushing through a wooden door, I find a man in a yellow surgical gown hunched over a metal autopsy table. I can see ashen-colored legs on the table, but the rest of the corpse is blocked by the man in the surgical gown. I walk closer, holding my breath. The man in the gown is old, 80 years old maybe, with a gaunt face, eyes splattered with cataracts. He's performing an autopsy. I look at the person on the table. It's the same gaunt, smoky-eyed face. He's performing an autopsy on himself, pulling intestines from the craterous abdomen, putting them in a hanging metal scale I back away, knocking over a standing black fan. The yellow-gowned man looks at me, licks a gloved finger, and grins with crimson-streaked white teeth. As I start to scream, I wake up.
So yeah, sleeping is an adventure best avoided at this point. I'm going to have to invest in some serious under-eye concealer. If you have any suggestions on Insomniac Strength cover-up, DM us. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Lark is back home in the Puget Sound area for a few weeks break before fall semester kicks off. She's going to handle as much online research for us as possible while Prue gears up for returning to the library in her elementary school. The Puget Sound area is full of strong energies, not seen in many other areas, so we hope Lark will also flex her investigating muscles at a couple known hotspots in the area. And of course, spend time with my amazing big brother Sam. Note the uh, subtle sucking up there. Lowe has a friendly reminder as our resident IT cybersecurity goddess. Resist the urge to take part in those social media history of me type quizzes. You know the ones she's talking about. They have questions like, my high school mascot was, I learned to drive in this car. My first pet was a blank and its name was blank. My first job was, you get the idea. Cyber criminals can use the information provided on quizzes, history recaps like these to hack your passwords and security questions. So as cute and fun as it is, Lowe says, just don't. And that concludes this week's segment of Cyber Safety with Lowe. Historical Society Research No ancient burial ground, no battlefield, but there is a pet cemetery very close to the property line, like within walking distance. I didn't realize there were cemeteries specifically for pets, Stephen King book excluded. From Amelia's property, a tiny path takes you to the Innocent Spirit Memorial Gardens, final resting place for everything from tarantulas and horses to dogs and pythons. The property is beautiful. There's a pond with a water feature, benches to sit under shade trees, and even a whitewashed gazebo. It's a beautiful final resting place for pet family members. And thankfully, looks nothing like any depiction of pet cemeteries from movies or books. The home was built in 1910 by wealthy Playboy businessman William Fitzgerald. William was known to have a different stunning socialite on his arm for each gala or business event until he met schoolteacher Helen Lane in 1916. The two fell madly in love. They were married and after a great deal of time, were expecting their first child. Everything was perfect for the couple. Enter the Spanish influenza outbreak of 1918. William awoke one morning drenched with sweat, body in agony. He told Helen to go stay with her sister as to not further risk infecting her with the flu. In less than 36 hours, William succumbed to his fever in the house. Helen returned to the home, eventually welcoming a little boy into the world, Henry William Fitzgerald. Helen and Henry continued living in the home, Helen unwilling to move because she said she could feel William's presence around her in the house. Henry grew up becoming a teacher, just like his mother, and Helen died on the property at age 61. So the property had some possible activity magnets going on two known deaths on the property, and a pet cemetery. Interesting combination. On-site interview recap. We were greeted by the friendly bay of an adorable bouncing beagle. Marvin, hush, hush. 
Amelia said, tossing the dog's floppy ears. The house smelled of fresh cut wood, paint, and... I breathed in deeply. Amelia smiled. Cinnamon rolls. I just pulled them out of the oven. Let's take them and the mimosas on the patio. She didn't have to tell me twice. He thinks I'm nuts, Amelia began, like I'm misplacing things and forgetting about them or not actually hearing things. What do you believe you're experiencing? Lo asked. The activity in the house began, not surprisingly, right around the time construction began. There's something about remodeling and renovations that can kick up once quiet spirit activity. The activity started out as little things. Keys vanishing from their hook by the door to the garage, reappearing under throw pillows on the bed in the master bedroom. Tools vanished. First a tape measure that ended up being found in Amelia's sock drawer, and then a hammer later located under the coffee table in the living room. On the regular, tools ended up missing only to be found in new, strange places around the house. She doesn't like us updating the home, Amelia said. Oh, I'm sorry, Lo. They're vegan. I didn't even think to mention it, she said, pointing to the untouched cinnamon roll on Lo's plate. Thanks, Lo smiled, pulling off a piece and popping it in her mouth, considering for a second. She? Carter gave a dismissive blink, causing me to count to ten, before turning my attention back to Amelia. The woman. She's the one causing all the weird stuff to happen around the house. I mean, I think it's just her. I haven't noticed anyone else, Amelia said, glancing at Carter who pinched the bridge of his nose between his fingers. I stared at him, forcing the kindest words possible through a clenched jaw. You haven't experienced any paranormal or unexplained experiences in the house? Laughter burst from his lips. No, I think sometimes Amelia forgets where she puts things and uses her creative imagination to concoct stories. Ford put her hand on my leg. I pressed my lips together. Ten. Nine. Why would I put a tape measure in my underwear drawer? Amelia snapped. You've been distracted since the honeymoon, he shrugged. Maybe you're multitasking too much and forgetting where you set things down. I don't know why you're making things up and bringing these soccer moms into our house. No, he did not. Eight. Seven. Six. I, of all people, have been guilty of setting things down in the wrong room while bustling around my own house, distracted by finding James's hockey sock or Michael's tryout jersey. But I don't know that I've ever put something in a drawer or under furniture by accident. And I don't know anyone who would blame a ghost to avoid what? Getting in trouble by their far from understanding life partner? I'm not making it up, Amelia said, chin giving a slight quiver. Tell us what's happening, Ford said softly, a warm smile balancing out my pinched eyebrow glare in Carter's direction. The footsteps began a couple weeks after the vanishing tools. Amelia first heard them while washing her hands after a late night trip to the bathroom. The bathroom was dark to not wake Carter with the light. And over the sound of the faucet, she heard footsteps walking down the hall. Hands still soapy, she turned off the water, listening. They were coming towards her. She walked as quietly as possible across the bedroom towards the door, 
the footsteps quickened. By the time she pulled the bedroom door open, the footsteps sounded like they were running away from her into the dark hallway. Another time, while in the same bathroom taking a shower, she heard footsteps walking around the bathroom, accompanied by a cold draft. Pulling open the shower curtain to ask Carter to please close the bathroom door because of the chilly draft, she found the bathroom empty. Door shut. No explanation for the footsteps or the cold chill. The footsteps seemed to step up their haunting game. Not able to sleep one night, Amelia went to the kitchen for a diet Mountain Dew. She figured if she couldn't sleep, she'd calf up and get some painting done. Popping open the tab on the can of soda, she leaned against the counter enjoying the first couple drinks of bubbles when a feeling of unease crept over her. There were eyes on her, but looking around, she was alone in the partially demolished kitchen. Leaving the light on, she went to the office, ready to paint some baseboards. Listening to her favorite podcast, My Favorite Murder, she got to work, forgetting about the weird feeling from the kitchen. She'd finished two walls worth of baseboards when she noticed a shadow stretched out before her on the floor, a shadow next to her own shadow. Something breezed against her arm and she stood, dropping the wet paintbrush. She whirled around. No one. She was alone in the room. The shadow was nowhere to be seen. The feeling of being watched was gone, leaving behind her pounding heart. While sitting in the living room, flipping through a magazine, Amelia felt the couch cushion beside her sink. She reached over to pet Marvin, but the seat was empty. It was just her on the sofa. Spooked, she called for Marvin, who trotted in, standing in front of the empty couch cushion, head tilted to the side. He wouldn't jump up to join Amelia. The presence has become a daily occurrence. Just outside of her eye, Amelia will occasionally see a tall woman with rich brown hair pulled up into a bun. Turning to look, the woman is gone. With encounters happening more and more frequently, Carter and Amelia's relationship has become strained to the point of breaking. Carter seemed immune to the haunted happenings. The more Amelia insisted on the possible paranormal activity, the more frustrated Carter got, bringing him to the snarky, unsupportive human we met. I imagine it's hard to believe in something you've never experienced for yourself. And I know it's difficult experiencing something other people can't see. They're at an impasse, like many couples meeting at the point where they can't see eye to eye. Just most couples don't get there because of a possible haunting. Looking through the snide looks and snarky comments at the couple sitting next to one another across from us at the teal metal patio table, you could see it. It wasn't all tense interactions and lack of understanding. In glances, and the way he almost absent-mindedly rubbed his thumb over the bony point of her wrist? There was love there, but the distance between them was also palpable. This marriage was on seriously shaky ground, and I was about one more starting at 10 countdown from telling this guy exactly what I thought of his tood. Ghost haunt, I don't know, old falling-down asylums? Carter said, taking a long drink from his bottle of IPA, not a suburban craftsman. Oh, he had no idea. Yoga studio. 
I said. What? Yoga studio. Equestrian facility. A house in the suburbs of Kansas, I replied. All with a great deal of paranormal activity. The backdrop doesn't have to look like the set of a horror movie to be haunted. Show me, he said, tones somewhere between pleading and perturbed. Haunted happenings. Besides the footsteps and persistent presence, there were other haunted happenings taking place in the home. Whistling from the basement when Amelia was the only one home. Marvin barked and seemed to follow something unseen around the house. The door to the basement opened and closed on its own. There was sometimes the faint smell of lilacs. We checked. There weren't any lilacs planted in the surrounding area. Lights turned off on their own. Amelia's best friend Ella was sleeping on the sofa after a wine and whiskey night. She woke up and watched a hazy figure walk through the wall into the next room. Knocking rattles from inside the walls, always in sets of four. Humming is heard in what is now the office. And Amelia has had her shirt pulled while walking in the hallway. Investigation recap. Our investigation kicked off on Sunday with the couple and Marvin staying the night at Carter's parents' house. We noted with our initial sweep of the house that there's a bit of traffic noise from a highway that runs somewhat close to the house. It's also an older home, so there's lots of creeks and whatnot, which is expected as a house matures. Ford, Lowe, and I would investigate the home together as one unit, so we only needed one research pack. This investigation research pack included three digital voice recorders, digital camera, one EMF detector, some band-aids I'd pulled out of my SUV. I'd forgotten to pack the actual first aid kit, which was a really bad idea with Ford on board. Three flashlights, trail mix and cocoa nibs, phone charger, three salt bowl kits, and sage bundles. These are our experiences. Three hours into the investigation, and the house was quiet. I think it's a quiet zone, guys, Ford said, making another pass down the hall with the EMF detector. That I was not willing to accept. Not yet. Something's here. I can feel it. Or do you just want to find evidence to prove Carter wrong? All right. Lowe had a very fair point. Then there was a cold spot. Ford's footsteps stuttered on the hardwood floor. She walked into a patch of air measuring nearly 10 degrees cooler than other spots in the hallway. Standing just outside of the office, surrounded by chilled air, Ford asked questions. What's your name? Do you like the updates to the home? We listened back to the audio. The three of us huddled around the digital recorder in the darkened hallway. Nothing. And then this EVP played through. Let's listen. Did you hear someone say hello? We weren't alone in the craftsman after all, and I resisted the urge to do a you're wrong, you're wrong dance in regards to Carter. The playback ended, and a knock jolted the silence. Four knocks, just like Amelia had described. Together we walked towards the direction of the knocks. 
they came from the kitchen or maybe the living room. I turned too quickly, knocking forward backwards. She stumbled, dog toy adding to her stumbling momentum and fell on her butt on the living room floor. I'm sorry, did you hear that? <laughs> the sound of Ford hitting the floor? Lo laughed. No, that. This time it came from below us. Ugh, I'm sorry, Ford. The game continued. Four knocks. We'd walk in the direction of the sound, find nothing, then four knocks in a different location. All this moving from room to room was helping us get our steps in, but also gave us the opportunity to catch this EVP. Here it is. What do you hear? We heard what sounded like a woman humming. Ford had another interesting encounter that um, didn't involve me knocking her to the ground while coming out of the hall bathroom. Clicking off the light, she turned back into the bathroom to grab the digital recorder she'd forgotten on the counter. Light shone in from a small window high up the wall of the shower area. She noticed what looked to be a misty shadow come through the wall that touches the office, moving into the bathroom and through the opposite wall that touches a storage closet. The shadowy mist had a steady pace and didn't seem to notice or care that Ford was observing it. Lo sat in the dark basement alone, conducting an EVP session. She got two intelligent responses. Here's the first. When asked, what's your name? She received the following answer. Did you hear the name Helen? Could this be Helen Lane who lived in the house in the early 1900s? The second intelligent response is here. When asked why they still hang around the house, a disembodied voice responded with this. Love. Is this again Helen saying that she stayed here in life and still in death to be with her husband and son? And I captured our last piece of evidence for the investigation. I caught this interesting EVP sitting in the living room on the floor, rolling Marvin's Kong toy around. Give it a listen. Did you hear the cat? I didn't hear the cat while recording the audio, which makes me wonder if there's an afterlife feline wandering over to hang out from the pet cemetery. What started out as a quiet evening ended up with us capturing several pieces of solid evidence to take back to Amelia and Carter. Wrap up. Though it is possible that Amelia is putting too much on her plate with everything she's juggling in life and the home renovations, we're confident that the activity going on in their home isn't from an overactive imagination, but instead, paranormal activity. We were pleasantly surprised by Carter's response to our evidence. He instantly apologized to Amelia for not believing her. Seeing, or I guess hearing, really is believing. He still hasn't experienced any of the knocking or footsteps, but he stopped blaming Amelia for things moving around the house without explanation. We offered to have Micah, a friend of the show who's a medium, come out and help the spirit cross over. But at this point, 
Amelia doesn't want her cleared. If the spirit of Helen, or who we strongly believe is Helen, wants to stay in her family home, then Amelia is open to learning how to adapt to having a paranormal roomie. With nothing dangerous happening in Capeville, and Amelia comfortable with the spirit remaining, we are comfortable closing Case 119, Paranormal Marriage Counseling. If you want to stay up to date with everything happening behind the scenes, including exclusive pictures and updates, you can stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. We will be back next week with another case. Until then, thanks again for listening to Sleepless in Suburbia. If you like our cases, tell a friend so they can join in on our scary adventures. And if you're looking for even more spooky tales to fill your listening time, check out the ladies from What Lurks in the Dark. Macy and Jamie are a couple of warrior nurses from Louisiana who spend their downtime talking all things spooky. When you give What Lurks in the Dark a listen, leave them a review and let them know the girls from Sleepless in Suburbia say hey. Until next time, take care, guys.